Welcome to Digging In, where we provide a front row seat to politics in New Hampshire. I'm State Representative Anita Burroughs. I'm here to bring you the inside track on the people and politics that are shaping our state. Welcome to today's episode of Digging In. I'm Anita Burroughs, and I'm speaking with Quinn Mitchell, a 15-year-old reporter from New Hampshire who received national recognition from publications such as the New York Times for asking presidential hopefuls uncomfortable questions during the primary season. I want to welcome to Digging In my guest, who is Quinn Mitchell from Walpole, New Hampshire. He's 15 years old, and he has his own political blog and podcast. And Chris Christie once described you as America's most famous political teenager. So can you tell us how how you got that uh, honor? I have no idea. I definitely don't (laughs) think I am, but I appreciate the honor nonetheless. But no, uh, Christie's a great guy. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate everything he did during the cycle, even though he didn't get to the finish line. So um, one thing that interested me, you you were homeschooled until sixth grade. Is that right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It definitely yeah. gave me a lot of time. Yeah, so it, it sounded like you did a lot of reading. Did you read about political things and events? Oh, yeah, since I was yeah. like six years old. <laughs> and why, why do you think spurred your interest in that? Was that a family pastime or... I mean, I mean, my mom encouraged me to start reading and it was just a gradual uh-huh. incline and I really enjoyed it. And I realized I live in New Hampshire. And I realized I had that civic process in my backyard and I knew I wanted to play a part in it. Right, right. I know um, when I started getting involved in politics, um, the neat thing about New Hampshire is you can meet virtually any candidate you want. They'll show up in your living room. I remember meeting Cory Booker in a small event um, in Conway, and I was so thrilled to meet him and be able to talk to him. So that's one of the cool things about New Hampshire. So you've you've attended over 100 political events and met 35 candidates. And what politicians have you met that have impressed you the most? Well, I got to be careful how I answer that because I want to okay. be a journalist. Uh, <laughs> I definitely, yeah, I appreciate that. Okay. But definitely the politicians, and I'm going to do this by this, the politicians who have impressed me the most are the ones who have variety. So if you go to a Nikki Haley event the first time, you're going to be impressed. You're going to be like, wow, she had some content. Right. If you go to the second, third, fourth, fifth, or even sixth times, which is how many events I've been to for her, you'll be reciting her speech in your head. So the politicians who impress me the most are the ones who have variety. Yeah. Because, you know, for good or bad, they make me think. Right. And, you, know, you can have their flaws, but at least when you'll be going out of their events, uh, they'll make you think. And those candidates this cycle for the GOP were uh, Ramaswamy and Christie who always have variety and new content. Yeah. And it also makes you understand that they can think on their feet and they don't have to rely on a script. So um, I appreciate that answer. And I won't, I won't press you on, uh, on, uh, I won't, I won't answer the question I had, which was who turned you off. And I, I assume it's the people who uh, were coming up with canned speeches. Is that right? Yeah. It just got like kind of boring. Yeah. Um, I always enjoyed hearing them speak. You know, it's always an honor, but you know, if you're reciting, you know, it, it just feels kind of canned. And just scripted. And then ones who did that were usually the ones who were very careful, managed and scripted. Yeah, that that actually kind of, um, I mean, I can say it, I won't ask you to do it. I felt Nikki Haley was just really trying to toe the line and be politically correct in everything that she said, and appealing to both sides of the aisle. And it's really hard to do that. I think you really need to make a stance. And I think she, she got on the news, of course, for the comment about slavery. Um, and again, I think she was trying to be politically correct in her answers. So um, you first made national news, my understanding is when you were on with Laura Ingram on Fox News at the age of 10. 
And there was a clip of you asking Joe Biden if he thought Trump should be impeached. And Ingram said it was pathetic that kids were being used as political props. And I'm horrified by that. But what what was your reaction? I mean, it was a horrible thing to say. I mean, you're 11 and you're using this to for anything to push your agenda. But, you know, what the ironic thing is, and this didn't make the news then, but my dad, you know, he told me, look, you got this opportunity to ask Biden a question. Why don't you ask him what his dog's names are? (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, Dad, that's stupid question. Don't, I'm never going to uh, ask that. But oh I God. ended up asking him about impeachment trials. But no, Ingram, according to Ingram, it was my dad who planted me, scripted me. But he wanted to ask about dogs. So that's the funny thing there. You know, when I was 11, that first came out, I was horrified. I was wondering, you know, how could somebody say that? Yeah. But now yeah. I just look back at it in humor of how stupid it was. You know, it, it's, one of my, it's one of my prime highlights. But uh, it's very funny to me now. Yeah, I, I just don't like people in general, not just kids, people being spoken to that way. But you and I have something in common. I was thrilled to be able to ask Joe Biden a question when he came up to, um, where was he? In Berlin, New Hampshire. And um, I knew he was going to call on me because I made my legislative badge very prominent so that he'd call on me. And he did. And uh, he, he was awesome. I really, I really enjoyed meeting him. I thought he did a great job. So now you've also made national news recently for being a disruptor during the New Hampshire primary. You were in the New York Times. I was researching. I mean, you were in every major publication, which is pretty amazing. And what happened was, and you can elaborate on it, is that you asked Governor DeSantis during a town hall in Hollis if Trump's actions on January 6th violated the principles of democracy on January 6th. And he said, if we are going to regurgitate what happens happened two to three years ago, we will lose. And I just want to say that I'm a pretty I'm pretty aggressive when I'm in certain hearings. I'm not afraid to speak my mind, but I got to tell you, I don't think I would have had the guts to do what you did asking him that question. I I think it's awesome. I I don't think I would have had the courage to 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 say that. So to ask that rather. So what, what were your thoughts about this exchange with him? Well, I think it was a question that needs to be asked. Mm-hmm. I mean, he totally dodged it. Yeah. Um, I think the weirdest thing about it was that he pivoted to the peaceful transfer of power he had in his administration. And the question was about if Trump violated it. But it, it was it, it, an answer that came off stupid to some people. But let me tell you something else. You know, I think it's bizarre that he didn't have a better answer for that. Because right. I think, you know, your advisors should have prepared you for months for a question like that. Mm-hmm. Like that was a question you see, should have seen coming away from like a mile away. Right. But he was like struggling to answer in those 30 seconds. But like a week later, um, I just wanted to give him another chance to re-answer because maybe the guy didn't have time. And I felt kind of bad because it's never my intent to put a politician in the awkward like, space like that. I just want to ask a question. And I get like tugged away from him and stuff. So clearly there were some things that the campaign didn't want to confront. And I really think that contributed to DeSantis's demise in the primary. Right. I think because, you know, Matt, I went to Matt Gates event and he described DeSantis as diet Trump. You know, why would you vote <laughs> for yeah. diet, diet Trump when you just get the real deal? And I think one of the problems with DeSantis is that he make, he didn't make the really clear line of distinction from the beginning. Because why are you going to vote for diet Trump when you can just get Trump? Do you think that he was like many people are scared of Trump? I mean, you know, you get in his, his crosshairs and um, he will decimate you. Do you think that was part of the reason that he didn't want to answer the question? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was part of it. Yeah. But I also think, I mean, if you're scared of offending Trump or Trump voters, I think you lost those voters from the yeah. moment you entered the race. So I think if you really wanted to win, you should have just thrown everything at 
you know, at Trump. You know, what confuses me about Haley now is that like now she's throwing everything at Trump. She's saying a lot of things she hasn't said, but she's in South Carolina. It's a state where she's down 30 points. I, mean, I feel like if you can't win New Hampshire as Nikki Haley, then you can't win the country because New Hampshire is the most likely state where you could pull out a victory. Right, right. But she's throwing everything at Trump now in South Carolina, a state where there's almost no chance she's going to win. Right. So, you know, I think there was just some bad management in some campaigns that if you really wanted to win, you should have been making the stronger line distinction to Trump. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah. You're, I think a lot of these candidates are always going to be afraid of Trump, too. So you also went to an event on July 4th, and you were swatted away by DeSantis' handler, and he said, I know who you are. I mean, and then Haley's people told you that you were a clown. I mean, is that kind of crazy that they were afraid of a 15-year-old kid, which is really what it's about? They were afraid of you. Yeah, it's crazy to me. I mean, yeah. I also think that my questions, you know, they're pretty simple questions. I mean, they're not really, like, very hard to answer but also, like, if you want to kick me out or do that stuff, I, just strategically, there's way more subtle ways to do that. Yeah. I mean, I was kicked out of the summit and they marched me out in the front doors, by the front doors where all the press were. They all knew who I was. Was that the first yeah. in the nation one? That was the first in the nation, yeah. But, and, and wasn't that the police were involved with that? Yeah, it was, it was like an entourage of security and then there was police too. But really what it was, it was that the, they had received wrong information that I was like disrupting the event and stuff, oh. which was just totally untrue. And they felt so bad about it afterwards. And they actually had to go argue with the GOP management about that I had done anything wrong and they had no purpose or clause in removing me. So they were they were really good people who were just got, got the wrong. You're uh, talking about the police were the ones who were helping you. Yeah, uh, it was so it was the security, I want to say it was the head of GOP security okay. who went back and was like, basically argue with the GOP management um, that they had no purpose in removing me. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, that was kind of nuts. But um, again, I think I think that, um, you know, you were told that you had this history of being a disruptor and a tracker, who's somebody who records things on camera that candidates probably wish they hadn't been saying, but they actually made it worse from themselves by what they did, because all the attention that you got, I mean, they really looked like like fools, to be honest with you. So I, I applaud you for standing up to that. And it seems like your parents have been very supportive uh, of what you're doing. Can you speak to speak to that? I mean, I've seen I've seen in pictures of you and your mom. So tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, I owe a loss for them. You know, they encouraged me to read from the beginning. But the most grateful is that they just they've you know driven me to events on the trail. I can't drive. I'm 15, <laughs> so I owe a lot to them for driving me around. But they just encouraged me to be involved and they encouraged me to go in with this non-biased, you know, input into these candidates, you know, because you get a different perspective looking at these candidates on the trail than you do through a TV screen. And, you know, a lot of people have the like the perception that they push an agenda down my throat. But mm-hmm. no, they, they want me to learn as much as I can, because really it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to meet these candidates and get this unprecedented access, like you mentioned with Biden. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of a kind. Yeah, I'll tell you a quick funny story. Um, I live in Bartlett in the North Country, and my neighbor called me up and she said, "Hey, do you want to have uh, breakfast with Hillary?" This is when Hillary Clinton was running. I was like, "Yeah, sure." You know, I thought it was a joke at first. I said, Hillary's coming to breakfast. She said, "Yeah, there's going to be about twelve people. You know, it's going to be this time. Come on over." Well, Hillary's people put it in the paper for some reason without asking her, so it turned out to be breakfast with three hundred people. 
And uh, it was, it was, it was really wild. And, you know, here I'm sitting on a hot tub and Hillary's right in front of me. It was, it was wonderful to meet her, but um, I wasn't even allowed to go back to my house, which was right next door until Hillary drove away. But that was really something. And uh, it was neat to see they couldn't even fit everybody on the deck. So they had people in the yard. They had sharpshooters in the woods to protect her. So our little neighborhood uh, had quite a, a little experience with that. So do you follow at all what's going on in, in the state house or is, are you really focused on um, national politics? Yeah. Like for the last year, I've been really focused on the national politics. Yeah. Now that's over, I'm really trying to turn an eye to the state house. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it impacts me a lot more than some of this national stuff is, but it's really interesting too, because the people at the state house are my neighbors because it's New Hampshire. Yeah. Do you think you'll follow the, um, the primary between Joyce Craig and Cindy Warmington and the, and the gubernatorial race. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I hopefully I'll be able to attend some events, ask a yeah. question. Yeah. We'll see how that goes, but I'll do my best because you know, the gubernatorial races are going to be quite interesting. Yeah. It's uh, now that governor Sununu is, is, is leaving. It's, it's really interesting. And, you know, I, I I'll just say as a dem, we are, encourage, I will say encourage that we could take back um, the corner office this year. But again, I never know what's going to happen in New Hampshire. I just don't. So you don't have any thoughts about whether it's Kelly Ayotte or Joyce Craig winning at this point, I take it? Yeah, well, I I think it's, Sununu was a very strong candidate, always has been. He was pretty much impossible to defeat. But the Democrats have a chance, like a real chance this time. So they need to have a really formidable candidate and a really strong, strong candidate to have a good chance. Uh, we'll have to see if Joyce Craig is that. It's looking to be Joyce Craig at this point, but you never know New Hampshire, like you said. No, you absolutely don't know. And uh, you're right about Governor Sununu. I think he has all the right pieces. I mean, he's charismatic. I mean, I hate to say he's good looking, which seems to sway people a lot. And, you know, if you meet him in person, he does he does have that aura. So, you know, he, he was pretty impossible to beat. Now, one thing I, I, I'm really interested to ask you, uh, I'm involved with, um, obviously, the Democratic Party in my, my county, Carroll County, and we're always struggling with how are we going to get young people to vote, um, particularly when there's a year when people don't seem to like either Joe Biden or Donald Trump. How do we, how do we get them out to the polls and what are the issues do you think are really going to pull them in? I think they need a lot of encouragement. I think the, like, the world that they see... It's one that is depressing. They might not think they have a purpose in going mm-hmm. out. But I really think now is the really pivotal time, you know, time period to go out and vote, uh, just like the issues facing us. I, I, as far as what concerns them, I think it has to be climate change. And I, I hear climate change a lot. Yeah, That's going to yeah. be incredibly impactful on us, way more than any other generation. So that definitely weighs on us a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to see a candidate who takes a very strong stance to that. And another one is age, because I think they look at the demographics of the leadership and they see people who don't represent us or don't get them. So I think, you know, these this age is a huge factor here. But the bottom line is, is that they're not going to go out unless they get a lot of encouragement. And, you know, the reason I'm so involved now is because when I was younger, you know, I talked to people from all across the political spectrum. I don't think a lot of people talk to people from across the political spectrum now. I feel like if you don't do that, you're just going to get one side of the aisle. So that was really important to me. But people took me seriously. They informed me. They told me what they had to say, whether mm-hmm. it was a Republican or a Democrat. And that was really impactful for me. So I think if more young people got that 
and realize how impactful the cycle is going to be to them, I think they'll turn out in numbers, but they need a ton of encouragement because the world they see is one that it's not encouraging to them. Right. I, I was really frustrated in 20, 2020, yeah, with um, with the uh, Trump-Biden race that I heard a lot of people interviewed and they said, young people, and they say, well, what got you to the polls? And they said, weed. And I thought, really? That I mean, you know, I, I'm a sponsor on the, on the cannabis bill to legalize it, but I thought that's the single most important thing to these people. And they said that was the only reason they went to the polls. So, you know, if, if that's it, I still hope they come to the polls um, this year. But um, I agree with you that the environment is key. What types of events do you think would attract young people? Because we're struggling with this. I think, I mean, it's going to be, first of all, it's going to be hard to get any young people to events. First of all, no matter what it is, it's going to be hard. I mean, I don't think a lot of people necessarily want to be involved in politics. Yeah. It's so yep. messy, they see. But I think events that are run by young people, not events that are run by people who don't represent them or they feel don't get them. Mm-hmm. But that that's a tough question because a lot of people I know are just not going to go into any sort of political event. Yeah. Um, but I think if there was young Democrats or young Republicans, and that would get them out. But I feel like the ages, I mean, not everybody's going to be really centered on politics. So I think if older people would be willing to give some words of encouragement, that's what's going to be really important. But uh, I mean, I know there are some really popular Republican organizations who are getting people out. Turning point action is pretty popular amongst mm-hmm. young people. Uh, I know there's some Democrat you know, organizations that do that. But what really drives young people... I have to say is the huge thing is climate change. Yeah. I mean, the few people I know who are getting out in numbers, it has to be climate change. So if there's anything Democrats can do for young voters, it's to really put a center on climate change. I think I think that's really good advice. And we just want to go back to something you said about bipartisanship. I think that's what you were alluding to. And I've I've had some people get annoyed with me because I will I will work with anybody on the other side of the aisle, if, if we can find some commonality on an issue, I will work with them. And, and I get some pushback from that. I recently, I, I wrote a letter to the editor with representative called Jim Spillane, who's pretty far to the right. It was about, they wanted to put ceasefire on the ballot. And my feeling was that that didn't belong on the ballot. That was not a referendum on foreign policy. And I got a lot of flack from, uh, you know, why did you work with Jim Spillane? I mean, he's to the right. And, um, you know, so I, I think it's really important. And if you want to see bipartisanship in action, come to the Commerce Committee, where I'm a member. Um, we get along really well, and we actually agree on more bills than not. But I think, unfortunately, we are in the minority. Yeah, it'd be good for you, too, because I think really the only, I mean, I'm 15, but really my opinion on this is that they're really the only way, I mean, I feel like compromise has become such a dirty word in politics yeah. nowadays. Yeah. But the only way to get things done in such a divided country is to compromise. That's the only option you have. If you go really radical with stuff, you're never going to get anything done. Maybe it may look good headlines, but you're never going to get anything done. And that's what's going to matter, I think, is compromising. And just to keep up good relationships, too, I think is really important. Yeah, I, I actually totally agree with you. And again, just back to commerce, the last session was horrible. We sat, the Republicans were on one side of the room, we were on the other, and it was like the Coliseum war. And um, this year, the, the chair said, okay, we're all going to be intermingled. And it made us talk to each other. And we found out we actually liked each other. You know, many of us did. And it really made all the difference in the world. I have to say, some of the Republicans have changed my mind on certain issues. And hopefully, um, we've done the same. So 
I, I totally agree with you on that. So um, are you plan- I assume that you're planning to go to college? <laughs> it's a long way off. Uh, not that, it's not that far. <laughs> Don't remind me. Uh, but really, <laughs> I better not think about it. But um, yes, I, I think I do have plans to go to college. My major would probably be political science. Yeah, I definitely yeah. want to be involved somewhat in politics because, it, because it, you know, it's my passion. So do you see yourself, you know, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Do you think you'd stick with journalism or do you think you'd ever run for office or it's too early to tell? Yeah, hopefully it'd be journalism, just journalism, be involved yeah. somehow. As far as office goes, it's actually incredibly silly and stupid that I'm talking about it, <laughs> even at uh, 15, but I don't have a mental dur- dur- durability for it. And I really love journalism. I really like like asking the questions. Yeah, yeah. It's incredibly stressful to even be in office. I mean, the amount of pressure these guys get, it takes a character to say the least. Um, but I, I really like asking the questions. And I definitely think we need more press for our democracy at this point. Um, because I had people ask me when I was asking these questions, it was like, Sorry, but why are you doing the press job? Why? Wh- how come they're not asking these questions? Um, they have incredibly better questions than me, but they just don't get access anymore. And, you know, politicians shield them. I mean, some networks are afraid of offending politicians because they want them back on their shows. So, yeah, I would definitely say I want to be involved in politics somehow. Well, I, I will venture to guess that you're not going to have a problem getting a, a, your first job when you get out of college. <laughs> you know, somebody who's been all over the New York Times and every other major publication, I, I don't think you're going to have a problem. Quint, I'm so thrilled that you came here. I wanted to meet, as soon as I read about you, I wanted to meet you. And um, you're, you're welcome to come to the state house and see how crazy it is anytime you want as my guest. <laughs> and um, so on that, I, I will sign off. And um, again, thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. This week's New Hampshire Putts of the Week Award goes to those legislators and citizens who believe that bipartisanship is a dirty word. One small measure of this is the Statehouse Cafeteria. If you walk through on a busy day, you will see Democrats sitting with Democrats and Republicans sitting with Republicans. It's rare to see the two parties breaking bread together, which is a real shame because that's when you could have a real dialogue on issues of importance. On legislative days, The Republicans sit to the left, ironically, and the Dems are on the right. It encourages the kind of behavior you might have seen at the Roman Colosseum, with hooting and cheers when someone supports or disagrees with your position on the other side of the aisle. I was in the Commerce Committee in the 2020 to 2022 session. Republicans were seated on one side of the room, Dems on the other. I believe that this setup contributed to the animosity between the people in the room and the consensus that those on the other side of the aisle were diabolically evil. I even said to my colleagues on the other side of the room one day, if I wanted to be treated this poorly, I would have gone to visit my mother-in-law out in LA. That got a laugh, but it also made people think a little bit about their behavior on both sides of the room. Fast forward to 2023. Same committee, same room, but legislators are seated interspersed in the room by party. We now actually say good morning to one another, and we discuss the bills before us offline. And unbelievably, we even have lunch together on occasion. This session, I'm working with State Rep. Erica Leon, a Republican from Derry. Now, I disagree with Representative Leon on many key issues facing our state, but when asked to work with her on the legalization of cannabis, I jumped at the opportunity. Erica has sharp political instincts and a talent 
for formulating complex legislation in an easily digest format. We have worked together in a bipartisan manner with experts in the cannabis industry to put together what we believe is a bill that supports concerns from the House, the Senate, and the governor from both sides of the aisle. Now, it's still very unclear whether this cannabis bill will pass through the State House this year, but if it fails, it will not be due to a lack of a bipartisan effort. When Dems and Republicans collaborate on legislation we agree on, we get better legislation passed. It's less dramatic and doesn't make for as good a headline, but it's the only way to go. So I want to congratulate those legislators who stand tall and proud in their belief that bipartisanship is to be avoided at all costs. You, my dear colleagues, are the winners of this week's New Hampshire Putts of the Week Award. Thank you for listening to Digging In. I want to thank Quinn Mitchell for taking the time out of his reporting schedule to speak with me. For my next episode, I'll be speaking with Darlene Pollock, who will discuss her journey from being a teen victim of human trafficking to becoming a nurse and creating her own family, including her husband of 30 years and five children. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Digging In wherever you get your podcasts. I would also appreciate your spreading the word about this podcast to your friends and on social media. 